Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsline with you on a snowy Tuesday, though it is warming outside. Allison is here. Hello. The great Tom Reed is here. Hello. And the Blue Jackets are in a bit of a hiatus here off since a 2-1 to loss to Minnesota on Saturday in St. Paul. Uh, Blue Jackets won't practice again until Sunday at 2 p.m., I think, is the moment the puck can drop. They won't play again until a week from today, and then they get back at it uh, with a pretty hectic push to the end of the season at that point. Things are really going to heat up then. Uh, But some news yesterday in Blue Jackets land. Uh, Martin St. Louis, who John Tortorella has has been fond of for many, many years, having coached him in Tampa Bay. They two won a a Stanley Cup together in 2004. Uh, St. Louis has been hired as a special teams consultant for the Blue Jackets. Um, This is, I think this was a surprise announcement yesterday, but certainly the relationship between Tortorella and St. Louis, this makes sense. Certainly with St. Louis' career and his his, skill set, this makes perfect sense. People have been clamoring for a year and a half now, uh, at least, to something, do something drastic personnel-wise to change the power play. And that personnel-wise has not always meant the players. Brad Larson, assistant coach Brad Larson, who's been in charge of the power play now for multiple seasons in Columbus, has come under heavy, heavy fire um, for criticism just because it has been so bad for so long. And now St. Louis comes in to tinker with it. Uh, this is a guy, St. Louis, who probably could have had his pick to coach uh, in many, many different situations, so certainly to fill this capacity in many, many uh, teams around the league. Um, but I think for the Blue Jackets, it's an interesting little wrinkle here, and it'll be fascinating to see um, the response to this. I say response instead of fallout. What will the personnel look like on the ice? What will the assistant coaches make of this? Is this a a flick of the nose of of Brad Larson and beyond on that coaching staff? It is an expression, I think you can say, that the answer to fixing it, the team realized, is not within the confines of its current staff. So there's some uh, humbling there, I would take, I would would assume. Um, Curious to get your thoughts on this, and I'll let you guys flip a coin and decide... Who wants to take the red meat first, Allison or Tom? What? How did you receive the news yesterday, and what do you think this means? Thomas? No, oh, so if I score a touchdown right here on the first drive, Allison doesn't even get a chance. It's over. <laughs> it's over. Um, I, I think she'll get the ball back. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I applaud the Blue Jackets for, for you know, they, they, they've um, – We've seen them be creative in the past in, 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 with their staff. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, they were one of the first teams to add a skills coach with Kenny McCudden. And, um, but that wasn't a specific need. This has been something, as you laid out there, that uh, the power play has just been a mess uh, for the last couple seasons. And this is trying to do something, trying to do something. Obviously, St. Louis, the Hall of Famer, uh, Certainly played played his share on the power play. 
And I mean, we'd have to be naive to think that he and Torch probably weren't talking uh, before this and they decided to bring him on. It will be interesting to me to see exactly how much he is involved. In other words, how often he comes up here. It's, it's not an assistant coach. It's a consulting role. But I don't think it can hurt. Now, the, I think the, the more interesting question and one we may not get an answer to is what does this say to your other assistants on staff? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming publicly they're all going to say, hey, great, we're adding a, we're adding a Hall of Fame player. Uh, this is wonderful. But you do have to wonder how this will play inside the coach's room, um, particularly with the power play. Uh, so that remains to be seen. But I, I, I like it. I think it's a good idea. Allison. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it, too. I think for no other reason than out of necessity. And, and having been a, a consultant in a prior life um, in a completely different part of, of the world than hockey, obviously, but. Um, you, you know, this, this is really interesting to me because as Tom pointed out, this is a consultant role, so it's meant to be not permanent. Um, I think that, you know, we all know that Martin St. Louis knows torts. We know that he knows Cam Atkinson. So he is probably coming in with a foundation of knowledge, unlike any other consultant that they would bring in. And we've seen this coaching staff be frustrated after practices and after games with their inability to figure this out. And when, when you can no longer bring perspective, I think it's actually a really smart call to say, we need fresh eyes. Uh, we need someone to come in and look at this anew. And I think what else is important about this right or wrong is that this is a new voice, you know, of something that torts talks about a lot is that the guys get sick of hearing what he has to say, or how do you make a message fresh? And I think, this is also an opportunity, even if it's not massive changes, this is a new voice. And that makes the message come across perhaps a little differently. What I'll be interested to see is that in the more traditional parts of the world and not hockey, when a consultant comes in, you know, as Tom pointed out, acceptance is so much a part of one's success. So how will this be handled from a communication perspective, not just with the players, but among the coaching staff, like Tom talked about. And, and I also wonder if this isn't, and we all know this is one of my favorite things to say about torts. If, if this isn't just another one of torts injecting some intentional conflict in the sense of new and different ideas to, to keep things fresh, to keep people focused and, and not let anything get too comfortable, or even if it's frustration, not just say, well, we've tried everything, um, but introduce some, no, no, we're going to have a little conflict here so that we can finally get to the real answer. Yeah. A couple things here. It, it's unclear exactly how frequently St. Louis is going to be around. He's not going to move here. He's not going to be a, a daily presence at the rink. Um, my sense is it's going to be like almost like goaltending coaches used to be where they would come in for weeks at a time, but always be, you know, a week at a time or four days at a time for a homestand, whatever but always, like literally always be available for communication. So video clip, watch, break down every video clip um, and respond to it, which is easier now uh, than it's ever been, but not being present. But he's certainly not going to be on the bench. He's certainly not going to be that uber present. Um, 
but I would suspect he'll be on the ice with these guys uh, more than a little bit too, especially at the start as they try to bring some things in. So you, now you're looking at a staff, a head coach, two assistants, Kenny McCudden, um, who's been here, I think this is his third or third year now. Um, and Jared Bowles been showing up at practice. Now you're going to have enough coaches to form two forward lines and have a healthy scratch. Um, on some days, like yeah. Nick Saban's staff, uh, exactly. As uh, in addition to Manny Legacy, the goaltending coach being out on the ice. Um, so interesting to see where this goes. And of course, there will be issues if St. Louis comes in and starts. To, to your point, Allison, that something has to change because what we're what we've I think if it goes on for two years, you can't call it a slump anymore. I think you just call it the reality. And there have been some upticks here and there. I think you have to be careful not to think of the upticks as the norm and the other 90% of the time as the slump. Because at some point, the 90% of the time becomes the reality and the 10% becomes the aberration, even though the team may want to think of it the other way around. Um, This just isn't working. And they've tried different people. They've tried different setups. They've tried all of this sort of stuff. It can only help if you have a, a, I think Tom said it, a new voice entirely saying different words that in some cases mean the same things, but just just teach the math lesson in a way that reaches the kid that just isn't getting it the way that this teacher is is trying to uh, get it across. Um, Look, we've said this before. They cannot match Pittsburgh, Washington. Tampa Bay, Toronto, they can't match those teams with skill. They can't. And so they have to have something in their game, multiple, I think, multiple things in their game to hang their hat on that say, right, but those teams can't match this. And rather that's depth in their lineup of scoring, rather that's uh, the energy level and the physicality with which they play, which is what I think it has to be, or whether it's an unbelievable power play that carries them like it did the first half of that of of two years ago they're like 26 5 and 4 or something stupid um they have to have something to hang their their hats on when the games really start to pick up weight here well i think two two points one allison brought up a really good point that you know one of one of cam atkinson's friends is martin st louis so it'll be interesting to see you know you also wonder if cam has talked to mark to marty already about stuff like this. I mean, again, they are, they're not, they are friends. So uh, two people that are very familiar with him and number, the second part of this, of course, is the other, the elephant in the room uh, with Panarin. I mean, one of your players is just as he's getting in here, one of your players may be gone. Uh, big players could be gone in a couple of weeks. So yeah, right. fascinating to see how this is all going to play out. Uh, with the power play. Uh, and we should point out the special teams, but the, the, the PK has been really good. Uh, yeah. Right. I, I think that special teams is a nice way of saying power play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other point, again, it, to going back to, I think this was also Allison's point, And I know uh, you were on this extensively at the beginning of the season, as far as torts, just wanting to change things up. Let's not forget they 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 flopped coaches early in the year. Now it wasn't special teams related, but it was torched saying, "Okay, Brad Larson, 
why don't you work with the defenseman the first half of this year? Well, it's supposed to be the whole year. And, 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 and Brad Shaw, you work with the forwards, and then they ended up flipping him back. So uh, this is, you know, Torch doesn't mind having uh, some changes in his staff, as we've seen. Yeah, and I, I think it's important, too. I mean, listen, no one's excusing the power play as it currently is. But I'm also just intrigued because while the power play is certainly – a big part of Brad Larson's job. Porty, you've made this point. It's not like Brad Larson sits in a room by himself and figures out the power play and comes presents his plans to the rest of the team right. and the coaches. Right. And it, it's also, so it's all the coaches that are in this now. And it's also not like the power play is the only thing Brad Larson does. So, right. you know, again, if, if we flip this, if, and for those of us who've been in the business side where a consultant comes in and it feels threatening, you know, your immediate reaction is to say, but I do all this other stuff. Don't ding me for this one thing. I think it's important while the critique is more than justified on the power play. Brad Larson is doing a ton of stuff that is functioning. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, right. you know, it's, it's weird that, I mean, I get it, but, but it's not like that's his only job with this team. Yeah. I've been like surprised the last few years where I'm like, I don't think like I don't think assistants in Montreal take this much heat. Right. Or Toronto take this much. Like, do people do most fans even know the name of assistant coach? Oh, I think they do. I, actually, I do. I, I, when things are going bad, I, I do think they do. Shoot. Almost. You know what it is? It's just like it being a, uh, now. Granted, it's when when your offense stinks in football, everyone knows who your offensive coordinator is. Right. I mean, it's just it's the way it's just the way fans are, and I do think you know the Rangers. Fans hated Scott Arneal for years because it was the same situation. They they their power play was not was never good. It was never good. I don't think it was even good in the years that they went to the finals. I might be wrong on that, but it was just like they could never get their power play uh, going. And now that they're lousy, they're like middle of the, middle of the road power play team. But yes, I do think to some degree. But but uh, to to your point, Aaron, I don't ever remember fans being this outspoken about a assistant coach, right or wrong, fair or not, uh, than they have been with Larson in the power play. Yeah, and, and the, you know, the thing is, it's not, it hasn't just, like we've said, it hasn't just been, like, not good. It has been quantifiably disastrous going back to January 4th, 2017. And just, we had these in, on the site yesterday. Like, Tampa Bay has scored more than twice the goals on the power play than Columbus has in that span. So we're talking a little over two years. They've scored 147 power play goals to 72. Um, and just putting Pittsburgh and Washington, the two rivals in the Metro, scored 61 and 50 more power play goals than Columbus. That's that is, it's unbelievable. Vegas, the Vegas Golden Knights didn't even exist from January 4th, 2017. Until the following fall, they've played like 50, 45 fewer games. They have more goals on the power play than the Blue Jackets do. It's, it's, I mean, and again, we're not talking about the, the plumbers and, and, uh, you know, the plumbers and farmers the Blue Jackets had the first couple of years in the league where you're like, who's going to score on this team other than Jeff Sanderson? Yeah. It says this, this team has Panarin and Jones and Atkinson. And again, not the elite talent that Pittsburgh and Washington have, but some guys that can fill the net. I'm, I'm really interested to see when we come out of this, 
if Panarin's now on the right side, oh. if Atkinson's on the left side, if somebody else is running the point. Uh, curious to see what sort of person, different personnel looks there there will be. And you'd have to assume there are going to be some. I mean, it's either that's the, the dramatic change or something about how they go about their business, as Torts would say. Uh, it's going to be a dramatic, noticeable change, or why make this move? I, well, yeah, you know, the other part where you were talking, we were talking about, large 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 as far as, far as if, if another assistant has gotten under this kind of criticism, I think the other point that needs pointed out here is that before the team stunk all those years, everything stunk about the team. Now the team's good. It's a, it's a very good team, uh, yeah. maybe not quite to the elite level yet, but a, a very good team, and I think when something stands out like this, that, in, you know, whether it be the fault of the coach or the players or whatever, you know, it's that's where I think well, why the criticism has come so much. In the years past, the power play could have been lousy, but the whole team was lousy. Well, and the other thing, too, is across the league, um, the power play has become much more of a weapon in this league. Whereas 15.4 percent, we're going, oh, my God, it's unacceptable. Years ago, maybe a decade ago, and I'll check this out to make sure I'm not talking out the, the wrong side here, but years ago, those numbers wouldn't have been so horrific. In other words, the, 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 I don't think the median back then was what it is now. I could be corrected on this if, if I'm wrong, but I, I, think, I think power plays across the league have all elevated, and Columbus has sort of been left behind in that. Um. So, yeah, this is something to look forward to Uh, on the other side of the break here, even if there aren't uh, personnel changes, which there could be. Really interested to see what the Bobrovsky uh, Corposalo breakdown is playing time, getting the sense that they're going to take a hard look at Corposalo between now and the trade deadline and see if they can catch fire in a bottle with him and uh, perhaps move Bob before the trade deadline, get recoup something. Um, that'll be interesting. It'll also be interesting to see where they're at with Panarin. Although I've been at this a while long enough to wonder if there's going to be a definitive answer. Yes, he'll sign with you. Probably there'll be more uh, murky gobbledygook, and it'll be uh, an interesting situation to watch unfold. Um, but those are things to look at on the other break. Allison, you, you wrote a piece today. Um, I think it's one of those stories we revisited through the years uh, in our previous stop, and it 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 um, it never fails to be entertaining. What's always interesting to me too is some one year a guy will have a um, a slightly different tale, or perhaps more um, more information on why he picked the number he picked. And you scratch to the bottom of this with everybody in the room from three to ninety one. Uh, stories up on the website now. Why do guys wear the numbers they wear? Some of them are just, well, it's what they gave me, and I've learned to love it. Some have a really interesting meaning behind them. If you could pull three sweaters off of the rack right now and explain them to us, uh, tell us your your three favorites from that collection as people make their way to your store. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely fun because I also think, too, sometimes – players you think are really going to be invested in their number do not care at all and vice versa. Um, but you know, I think that um, so the ones that I think were more 
touching and I, I appreciated the guy sharing was um, it, it starts on the surface as pretty standard. Pierre-Luc Dubois wears 18 because his dad wore 18, but his dad had also worn 11 in his career. And that was where PL started was wearing 11. And then when he got um, up in the ranks, he got to a team where he was the youngest player. And the way that this works is that when you're the, when you're on some of these traveling teams and midget teams and peewee teams, players pick their numbers and it's ranked in some way. And with this team, it was by age and he was the youngest guy and 11 was already taken, but everyone on the team knew he wanted 18. So even though everyone else on the team picked, they all left 18 alone so that when his turn came, the very last player, they left 18 for him, which I thought was, was pretty cool. Um, it was. And the, the, (laughs) The, the funniest one, in kind of a sad way, was in Porty, you were there with me when, when I was talking to Kevin Stenland, is I was totally ready to hear that Kevin Stenland's number was 82 because that's what he's worn um, over in Sweden. It's what he's worn in Cleveland. And when right. he showed up in Columbus with 11, I'm like, oh, well, it's available. That's what the trainers gave him. 11 is actually the number he loves. He wore that as a kid. And the only reason he stopped wearing 11 is because his dad gave it to another player. <laughs> <laughs> so brutal. And, and like unbeknownst that it knew so much, much to his kid, right? Yeah, exactly. And and Kevin was fantastic about it. He kind of laughed it off. He's like, oh, it's fine. But he was, I think, 13 at the time when this happened. And I mean, imagine your yeah. dad gives away your number. Um, and and I, I also liked uh, uh, a couple more that I really enjoyed. I liked Ryan Murray because there's been a tale that surrounded Ryan Murray that he wore 27 because of Scott Niedermeyer. And he's like, no, uh, he liked three and he was on a, a youth team with his older brother. They both grew. They grew out of the jerseys they had. The team gave him his older brother's jersey and it was 27. And Ryan Murray said he's literally never asked for 27 once in his career, but every team he keeps going to just gives it to him. And then as we're wrapping up, he kind of throws in there. Oh yeah. And my birthday is on the 27th too, but that's not why. So <laughs> that, that, that yeah. made me laugh. Sometimes there is nothing in a number. That's right. That's right. Um, and Brandon Dubinsky had some fun with his junior team, uh, giving him a Jersey that perhaps was just based on his size versus maybe what he wanted or, or should have picked. So that I'll leave that one to the readers, but that one was entertaining for, for Brandon Dubinsky being Brandon Dubinsky. Yeah, I remember um, Rick Nash wore 61 because he wanted 16, and it was taken on the London Knights. And so he had to wear that. Uh, he switched it around as just to keep the two numbers. Right. I don't know why 16 was so special to him. Um, and Yarmir Yager wore 68 because that's the year of the Soviet invasion of Czechoslovakia. Wow. Which I always thought was pretty heady of a guy that when it came time to pick the number, he wasn't considered much of a heady player. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Tom, do you have any favorite number tales from around? No. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> he's, not, he's not the best in the business for nothing, people. Um, <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. So that's a good, be a good segue here. Um, Allison, you mentioned Stenland um, and just his number, but I like the way that that kid played. I thought he looked better at the NHL level than he had when I saw him briefly in the AHL level and better than he had in training camp. 
and they were high on him in training camp. I thought he looked better this time around than he did in camp. Did you you guys have any impressions of that young man? He's pretty good size, pretty good size. Looks like he knows what he's doing. Tom? No, go ahead, Allison. You, you're, uh... <laughs> Tom's clearly on a split screen. Tom, Tom is ready to go today. Um, no, I, I like Stenland. I, I mean, his size is obviously an asset, like you mentioned. I think he his skating is is unique. I guess I'll call it that. So it doesn't really he doesn't look like a Josh Anderson going down the ice, right? Sure. But um, sure. you know, and he he was with a, a that line that's kind of been cobbled together a little bit, um, but. You know, someone asked after he went back to Cleveland, which I think is the right choice, keep him playing um, during the break. Um, He did quite well in the context of the team. He was right about in the middle of all the skaters in terms of shot share. He was he was doing a good job generating chances and getting to the dangerous areas. I I thought he did not look out of place. I I was pleased with how he performed and he he's he seems to be taking it all in and has a really good attitude about what he needs to do but also the opportunity he was given um definitely the most encouraging i mean i was i was encouraged by what i saw from him in development camp actually 2 years ago but this was this was the most high i've been on the players since then yeah well that's good that's good yeah they've they've give head I, I thought he was good and i thought eric when eric robinson was up here he was okay they they brought up a couple guys that have uh you know they, they've 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 done okay. I mean they're not they're not top. I don't think they're going to be top six guys, but they're certainly guys that can come up and make contributions. And I would have to think that uh, I assume that Stenland comes back here. Uh, now Hannah Kynan, I would Hannah Kynan. Where do you think we where do you think he is right now? Well, he should be pretty close. I mean they they I think yeah. they they had him as a week or so out, and with this extra break, I would assume he's. I would assume he's ready on the other side, but don't know that for sure. Yeah, so those those two guys have I've I've liked both of them when they've come up. They've uh, they certainly fill a role, and uh, as Allison said, with Stenlin, and I would say with Robinson, they've not really looked out of place. Yeah, well, I've, it's going to be really interesting. I think this team's going to look a lot different by the end of February. I think it's going to be the most active team in the league, one way or the other. Mm. So things to get ready for. Um, thanks for listening to us, folks. We're going to get out of here today. Not sure if we're going to do one Friday or not. We'll, we'll let the news dictate that. Um, so possible Friday, but for sure next Tuesday when the Blue Jackets gear back up. Uh, by then, we will have had a couple practices to watch, so we'll have some information uh, certainly there to pass along. Keep watching the site here. Keep checking out the site, theathletic.com. Uh, the great deal is right there always to subscribe if you wish. Thanks for being part of this, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.